Our passage this morning is from Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So as we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we come to a passage where, where Jesus warns. He warns his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, last week, if you were here, um, Zach uh, spent some time looking at Pharisees and, and the subject of legalism, which is the belief that somehow your, your, your acts of righteousness, your good deeds, they merit, uh, they merit favor with God. And, 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 and then, so between that time where, where Jesus is, is interacting with the Pharisees, we, we skipped over a few verses, we'll come back to them later, where Jesus does a number of miracles, the feeding of the 4,000, uh, the healing of, uh, of the Syphoenician woman's daughter who was demon-possessed, and, and the, the healing of a man who was, was deaf. And so you see a bunch of miracles, and now that all of a sudden you have the Pharisees questioning Jesus, questioning Jesus. And so what we're going to be looking at the, this morning is, is the subject of faith and unbelief, the leaven of the Pharisees. They're hard-hearted unbelief. Nothing Jesus does is good enough for them. They just cannot, will not believe. And so we're going to be looking at contrasting and comparing faith and unbelief. The context here is Jesus uh, warning the disciples to beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. But we want to seek to understand what is that. He doesn't tell us specifically. Jesus doesn't say, oh, and by the way, here's what I mean by leaven. He just says, beware of this. So we're going to seek to understand from the text what exactly is it that he's warning them concerning. And the last thing we're going to take a look at this morning is the application. How do we, you and I, because this isn't just for the disciples 2,000 years ago, this is for followers of Christ today. How do we identify what that leaven is? And then how do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? It's so easy to bash the Pharisees. How many of you last week, you you felt like, I want to punch a Pharisee today, right? Um, that's why I gave the text to Zach, because I tend to want to punch Pharisees, and I need to just get over my anger. So that's one of the reasons why, because honestly, we tend to be Pharisees. That's what the warning's for. That's what the warning's for. So let's go to the Lord, and as we go to the Lord, let's ask him to speak to our hearts, because this warning is for us, not just the literal Pharisees that everybody loves to hate. 
It's for us who tend to be pharisaical. So let's go, Lord. Father, thank you for your grace that you died for Pharisees like us, even when we don't see ourselves as such. And Lord, you gave the disciples a warning to beware of the leaven. Show us what that leaven is. Show us how it manifests itself in our own day, in our own culture, in our own day-to-day lives, in our families, in our interactions. Uh, And Lord, Holy Spirit, would you um, quicken our hearts that we might have faith, that we might believe, that we might trust, that we might draw closer to you. Jesus, we pray that you would increase in our hearts, that we would decrease, and that you would bear fruit, Lord, in keeping with repentance. And give us joy that comes from knowing you and having the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, the context. The context is uh, the Pharisees, they come and they begin to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So let's just look at that verse 11. What's the purpose for which they came to Jesus? What are they seeking? They want to argue. He's... Mark is right up front. Their reason for coming is to argue. They are there to refute him. They are there to refute him. They ask for a sign. They ask for a sign from heaven in order to test him. In order to, what they're saying is, prove it. We've heard you say who you are. We've heard you say all these things. Prove to us that you are who you say you are and that we should give you any credence whatsoever. It's very, everything that, that Mark is saying here, these words, argue uh, and test, they're antagonistic. They're antagonistic. So, so notice verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Sighed, what does that mean? I, I envision it, Jesus listening to them and just going, oh, man, it, it's not so much anger. It's not so much anger as, as utter just grief. Just like, because he knows that their unbelief is, is not costing him, it's costing them. And he's just, he's heartbroken. He's like, oh, man. Man, he sighs deeply in his spirit and he says, why, why does this generation seek a sign? What are you looking for? I mean, think about what Jesus has done up until now. If it were me... I'm going to be really frustrated. And my, I would be, I would just be like, seriously, you want a sign that, but Jesus is far more patient, thankfully, than any of us are. He's like, why why do you seek a sign? Why do you seek a sign? Why does this generation constantly look for a sign? He says, truly, you know what? No sign's going to be given to you. Now, Luke adds except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was swallowed by the whale and in the belly of the fish for, or swallowed by the fish in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. And then he ends his conversation and he walks away from him. He won't give him a sign. So that's, that sets up the context. Now, he gets in the boat with his disciples, as Lee had just read. He gets in the boat with the disciples and they're, and they're on their way to the other side. But the disciples forgot bread. Now you say, well, big deal. Well, this is, I want you to imagine, you're going on vacation. You're going on vacation. You're going to be away from your home for weeks, and you forget your wallet. 
You forget your credit cards. You forget your driver's license. This is the equivalent. This is the equivalent. You don't have any means to purchase a hotel or food on the way for your two-week journey. This is the equivalent. I don't think we really realize this. When you forget to bring your food, it's kind of a big deal when you're in first century Palestine. So that gives us a little bit of, uh, so we, at least we can, we can relate. And so, so, they, so, so Mark says they forget the bread and they're kind of discussing, hey, Peter, I thought you brought the bread. I thought you were going to bring it. So whatever, whatever conversation is going on, Jesus is listening to this and that gives us the context for him to warn all of them about the leaven of the Pharisees. So here the disciples are, Peter, why didn't you bring the, I thought you were going to bring the bed. And Jesus says, you know, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Doesn't tell them what he means by that. He just tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples look at each other. And, Is he saying this because we forgot bread? They're, they're thinking it's about bread. And then Jesus is like, are, are you seriously worried that when we get to the other side, we're not going to have bread? You were with me when we fed the 5,000. You were with me when I fed the 4,000. I can handle 12. Bread is not the problem here. And then the, then the story's over. He never tells us. He never explains, guys, it's not about the bread. What it's really about is he doesn't say, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? So that sets up the context. How many of you wish that Jesus would give us the parenthetical, and here's what I mean by what I just said. Okay, so did the disciples, so did the disciples. But he, he lets us stew in our uncertainty so that we can speak to him and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things. It drives our faith deeper. It drives our faith deeper. So let's, let's move on to the understanding part. What is, the, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? What exactly is this? Okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to, we're going to see a comparison of, of what has, what, what's transpired since, since uh, the material that Zach covered last week and, and this con- conversation with the disciples in the boat, all right? So the examples of faith that we didn't read about but have happened since then, you have in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30, the Syrophoenician woman, she comes to Jesus. This is a Gentile. She comes to Jesus and she is begging Jesus to heal her, her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And Jesus says something which at first reading sounds a bit insensitive, at least. He says, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. <laughs> that sounds very un-Jesus-like, right? And she says, she says to him that the, the, the dog under the tables feeds from the scraps thrown on the floor. And Jesus is like, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about faith. I want you guys to listen to this woman. This is what real faith is. And he says, you can go, your daughter's healed. 
That's faith. That's faith. And then the next story we have is uh, Mark 7, 31 through 37. A deaf man and his friends. So the, the friends, similar to the paralytic. Remember the paralytic, his four friends brought him. The friends bring the deaf guy to Jesus and Jesus, Jesus heals him. And he commends him and them for their faith. And then the next thing we have in verses 1 through 10, which is, happens right before the Pharisees show up, these people are in the wilderness. They're starving spiritually to be fed. Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd, and I have compassion on them. And so he feeds them spiritually with his words, with the word of God. And then they're hungry, and he feeds them literally with, with food. They're there because they're hungry, and they need Jesus. And he won't let them go hungry, either physically or spiritually. They're there because they want something from Jesus. So that's an example of faith. Now let's do some, let's, let's, let's take a look at what's going on. All of those accounts, what's the perceived need? Whatever it is, they recognize their great need. For the Syrophoenician woman, her daughter was demon-possessed. For the deaf guy, he couldn't hear. For the rest of them, they needed spiritual food, and then later, physical food. They had needs. That's why they're coming to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus because they know or they believe that apart from him, there's no hope for them. They, have, they, they want Jesus to do something for them. And that's why they're drawn to him. It's because they have deep need. What's the request? Help! And the, the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus says, I didn't come. I came for the, for the lost sheep of Israel. Yeah, but the dogs under the table, they get the scraps. That, she's not even deterred by that very insensitive, seemingly insensitive statement. Yeah, I don't care. I'll, I'll eat at the bottom of the table. Whatever you got left, you give me. I need help. All of them come for help. And what did they get? They received all they asked for and infinitely more. Infinitely more. That's faith. Now, the leaven of the Pharisees. Let's just do a little comparison. What's their perceived need? They don't have any needs. Well, it's not true. They need the Romans to be gone. That's what they want. They want the oppressors out of Israel. They want the Romans gone. But as far as spiritual needs, they don't, they don't perceive that they really have any needs. And so their motive for being there, they're not there to get anything from Jesus. They're just there to argue with Jesus. They're there to test him. They're not looking for anything. So the request is not, give me something that I don't have, that I need, that only you can provide. The request is, you prove that you are who you say you are. And what do they get? Not a dang thing. Nothing. Nothing. In Mark 6, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and it said he could, do, he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. That begs the question. Did he not have the ability? So when he's in his hometown, somehow the juice is off? Is that how that works? 
The Jesus juice stops flowing when people don't believe. Is that, is that, so Jesus doesn't have the ability when people don't believe? No. He is who he is. He is power. He can do all things. But he won't do anything for someone who won't ask. They don't have any needs, or at least they don't think they have any needs, and they're not going to ask. The only need they have is that Jesus demonstrate that he is who he says he is. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on, Brooks, you'll get there. What's going on? What's going on? How is it that when Jesus feeds the 4,000, some people believe and other people say, prove that you are who you say you are? How? How does that work where, where someone hears the word of God and someone believes and someone just walks away? How is it that two people can see Jesus do the same miracle and one worships and the other wants to crucify him? How does that work? Elsewhere in, in Matthew, what's going on? We're going to take a look at two things. Why is this happening? Why is this going on, this hard-heartedness with the Pharisees? Why? Uh, or what, rather, and then we're going to take a look at why. First of all, the what. Jesus says to the Pharisees elsewhere in Matthew, what do, I, what do you want me to compare your generation to? It's, it's like kids sitting in the marketplace and calling their playmates. We play the flute, you didn't dance. So when we played a happy song uh, uh, with major chords, you, you wouldn't dance. And then when we played a sad song, we sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. John came neither eating nor drinking, and, and you said, you know what? He's got a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know, I can't, I can't please you people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see a guy with camel hair, and he's eating bugs, and he lives out in the wilderness, and you say, well, he's a freak. He's got a demon. And then you see me, I come around and I, I change water to wine and I'm at the party and, and everybody comes to me and, and I'm eating and I'm drinking. You say, well, he's a tax, he's a, he's a friend of sinners. He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. There, there's no pleasing you people. Nothing I do is going to change the way you think or the way you believe. Nothing can be done for you. You are beyond help. The music's too happy, and you say, well, it's too happy, I'm not going to dance. The music's too slow, it's too slow, it needs to be upbeat. There's no pleasing you people. What is, what's, what, why? What's the motive? What's going on here? Let's dig. Let's dig at a heart level. And this is true for the Pharisees, it's also true for you and I. At a heart level, what's going on? We jump ahead to the end of Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 11, after the raising of Lazarus, you remember the story, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. He asks his sisters, where's the body? And they're saying, Lord, he stinketh in the King James. He's rotting. It don't roll the stone away. It'll, be, it'll, be, it'll smell. He says, roll the stone away. Rolls the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. And he says, take the grave clothes off. And there's a big party. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered around the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Stop, 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 stop. What did they say? What did he do? He performs many signs. Now, that's what they were looking for, yes? No. They don't want a sign. Keep reading. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's the issue. That is the issue. Because if Jesus is the king of the universe, that means I can't be. And neither can you. If Jesus is the king of the universe and I can't be king and you can't be king, that means that I owe my allegiance and my obedience to him. That means when he says obey, that I have to obey. That's the problem because obedience is costly. If they actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is, they know what that's going to lead to. That means that they will lose their status and they will lose their power. They just acknowledged that he called a man out of the grave and as a consequence, they decided not to believe but to kill him. Signs are not the issue. It's a hard, 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 hard heart. That's the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They are pretending to be faithful. They are pretending to love God. They are playing the part of actors so they can keep their position and so they can keep their power. God is, at best, an accomplice to them to help them achieve their end. He's not a king to be worshipped because if he was a king to be worshipped, they would bow and they would follow. But they will not bow. bow. They They won't do that either, whatever that is. They will not bow. They will not follow. But they will crucify him. That's the leaven. That's the leaven. That's not hard to see if you look. And this is the part where we're like, yeah, those darn Pharisees. I'm going to punch a Pharisee. Be careful, otherwise you're going to do a lot of boxing on yourself. Who's Jesus talking to in the boat? He's not talking to Pharisees. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his friends. He's talking to 12 individuals that he chose. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. So, how do you avoid the love of the Pharisees? First of all, you have to recognize the danger. Take a look at verse 15, Mark chapter, chapter 8. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And of Herod, recognize the danger. Here's the deal. You got 12 guys, 13. You got 13 guys in a boat. What are they, what are they talking about when they get in the boat? What do they forget? Bread. Okay, why are they in the boat? It's not a trick question. Jesus told them to get in the boat. So they're, they're following him. They're doing what he says. And they've forgotten provisions. And I know, this sounds minor, but it's not because Jesus, he's the one who brings it. It's, it's kind of like, so the cost of obedience for them is they, they perceive that if I obey and if we go all over 
creation following this homeless rabbi, I might not be able to provide for myself. Uh, Where's my next meal going to come from? And here's the deal. We're all in the same boat. All of us are in the same boat. Recognize that Jesus is speaking not to Pharisees, but to disciples who trust him. Because you and I have the same propensity, maybe not to the same degree that the Pharisees do, but we have the same propensity to ask Jesus to prove to us that if we obey, we won't suffer. So, the second thing, how to avoid this, is understand how unbelief ferments in the heart of those who are actually believers, not just hard-hearted unbelievers, but understand how it ferments. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 3. It's a pretty famous verse. Verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With what? All of your heart. All of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Okay, there's the issue. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your, your, your straight your paths. What's going on here is, is that I have, there's a fork in the road. Jesus is getting the boat. I didn't even, I didn't bring the bread. I have a choice right now. I have a choice. I can freak out. I can freak out. I can lean on my own understanding and, and do the math and say, well, I'm going to starve. It's not going to, this obedience is not going to go well for me. Or I can not lean on my own understanding and I can trust him. I can trust him and said, well, he said he'd provide. He said, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be provided unto you. So I can trust him. I can either trust him or I can freak out and, and lean on my own understanding. I, that's, that's the option. Every time Jesus says, follow me, there is that choice and I have to choose. And so do you. And that leaven, it works its way through a person's heart. It also works its way through a family. It also works its way through a church. You know, we, we know what Jesus said, but we're so reluctant to trust him because we, we look at the, we do the math. We're not idiots. We do the math. You know, you go back to the scarcity mentality sermon. If Jimmy has two apples and Johnny has none, and Jimmy gives his two apples to Johnny, how many apples does Jimmy have? Well, it depends on if he realizes his father owns the orchard. You remember that sermon? But we don't think that way. We think those apples are ours, and if we forgot the bread or we gave the apples away, we'll starve tomorrow. And so we're reluctant to trust him. So we ask him to prove, show us a sign that I won't be left left on the curb if I obey. It's not as blatant as the Pharisees, but we do the same thing. What? Okay. I want each one of you to answer this question for yourself. What are you afraid obedience is going to cost you? I, I, if you are a follower of Christ, even if you're not a follower of Christ and you're somewhat sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is prompting you or has prompted you even this week to step out in faith somehow, somehow, to be generous, to share your faith, to forgive, to live selflessly, to serve your spouse, to serve your kids, to serve the church, 
to serve your community, to put away bitterness, to forsake some sin. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know your hearts. But you've heard that prompting to obey, whatever it is, and then the fear creeps in. But if I do, I might lose The Lord wants me to humble myself before my spouse, but if, but if she goes first, show me a sign, Lord. If she goes first, I'll serve others, Lord, if I know that my service will be reciprocated. I'll forgive. I know you want me to forgive, but I need a guarantee that I won't be hurt again. I know you want me to confess my sin, maybe even publicly to the people that I've sinned against, but I need to know that that, that that acknowledgement of sin won't be used as a weapon against me. I know you want me to be generous. I know you want me to give. I know you want me to serve, but I need to know whether or not I can spare the giving of my time, the talent, and my resources. If you can show me, if you can show me a sign that I won't go without then I will obey. That's not any different than a Pharisee asking for a sign. So recognize that it's, it's a danger for us. That's why Jesus gave the warning to 12 guys in a boat who had committed their lives to him. You're in danger of, of being like them if you're going to ask for signs every time I ask you to obey. I'm not going to tell you that, that you're not going to suffer because that's not even true. But I am telling you to lean not on your own understanding and trust me with all of your heart. Why are you, why are you worried about bread? Were you not there when I fed the 4,000? Were you not there when I fed the 5,000? And you're, you're worried about whether or not This is all about trusting in the person and the character of Jesus. He either is who he says he is, and he either does what he's going to say he's going to do, or he's not. And I'm I'm not, I'm not, I, I am in the same boat with you. I have the same fears. And he's admon, admon, he's, he's giving us an admonition just, Trust me. Trust me. That's the opposite of being a Pharisee. Trust me. How? Turn your Bibles as we get ready to close here to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, Paul says this in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, there's that word, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your, only to your own interests, but also have the interests of others. So you have to humble yourself. For me to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding means that I have to lean not on my understanding. Now, if, if I'm proud and I, I lack humility, I know what's best. And that, See, that's what hinders the Pharisees from following Jesus is pride, hard-heartedness. 
So Paul says, humble yourselves in humility, in humility. Well, here's the deal. How many of you are, are proud and arrogant? Me too. How does someone who is by nature proud and arrogant humble themselves? I'll tell you some way that's not helpful. Just try harder to be humble. (laughs) Stop being proud and arrogant. You narcissists, stop being narcissistic. Just realize you're not the center of the universe. Let me rephrase that. Us narcissists. We just, I'll throw myself under the bus as well. Just stop it. That never helps. But Paul doesn't just tell us to not be proud and be humble. He says, he says here in in verse 3, or verse 4, let each of you look not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind, verses 5 through 8, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having been found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Do do you understand that Jesus got into the boat with them? Knowing they didn't have any bread knowing that he himself would be the bread which would be broken for them so that they would not go without. And that's not just for them, that's for you. I know you're afraid of the future. I know that you are uncertain about the cost of obedience. But understand that the one who went before you, the Lord Jesus Christ, knew that the cost of his obedience for your redemption would be spread out upon the cross and forsaken by his Father. And the author of Hebrews said that it was for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he scorned its shame. What, pray tell, is the joy that was set before him? Your redemption. You're in the boat. You don't need to worry about bread. Because he's the bread. He's the life. He's the truth. And whether or not your ship sinks and you go down, you can't lose. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, with all your heart, trust and acknowledge him. He is trustworthy. To trust yourself And to believe that you yourself know better than your Savior is the leaven of the Pharisees. And only when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and you focus on his humility and his submission, will you have the ability to trust him when your future looks uncertain and is scary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus that you gave yourself entirely for us. And Lord, we are in the same boat that the disciples are in. We're scared, we're uncertain, we forgot our wallets, we forgot our bread, we don't know if we can do what you're asking us to do. And Lord, you give us the Holy Spirit and you've given us your life, you've given us your body, you've given us your righteousness. Lord, help us to trust and lean not on our own understanding. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace, and we will see you next week.